Welcome to the 242nd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with J. Todd Scott, author of the novel, The Far Empty. And just one programming note, this original interview was recorded a couple of years ago. I'm just now publishing it now. Just wanted to let you know that. Stay tuned for my interview with J. Todd Scott. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is J. Todd Scott, author of The Far Empty. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Well, can I have you read two or three pages from your debut novel, The Far Empty? Uh, sure. I uh, will be happy to do that. It's, uh, it's from the sections from Caleb Ross, one of the characters. The Kitchen. My mom's sanctuary in the house was our kitchen where she spent most of her time. The yellow paint, the black and white pictures on the wall, the dried desert flowers, and the brightly colored glass bottles and jars, and the way she never kept the blinds down or closed in there, always letting raw sunshine in. It was all her. Most days, she even left the windows open so the wind could find its way in, too, bringing with it a fine dust that coated everything. If she wasn't cooking, she was seated at the kitchen island, flipping through a magazine, writing a letter, drinking sun tea. Near the end, maybe four or five months before she was gone, she was there and my father walked in. He stood and looked down at her arms crossed and then picked up an oven mitt that she'd left on the counter. It was a silly thing, ugly, shaped like a rooster, bright green and red. I'd bought it for her one Christmas when I was nine or ten years old. My mom always used it, even though she had much nicer ones. My father slipped that oven mitt on his hand and walked over to where she was sitting. She saw him coming and didn't make a move. He smacked her out of her chair, hitting her flush across the face with his gloved hand, and she went to the floor without a sound. Her skin was red from her right eye down to her jawline, but it wouldn't bruise. The mitt had taken care of that. He pulled it off and put it back where he'd gotten it, straightening it out with the palm of his hand, and walked out of the kitchen past me, where I stood drinking a glass of milk, and didn't look back. My mom didn't use the kitchen mitt much after that, but when she did cook, she still used that damn rooster bit. Loading the gun. A couple of years ago, my father was away in Austin, and one rainy afternoon, my mom caught me in our garage, loading and unloading his Ruger Mini-14 with a few of the rounds I'd stolen. I thought it was safe to touch because he didn't carry the gun anymore for work. Kept it stored and empty in the gun locker at the house with several others he'd collected, including those he planned to display at his office but hadn't mounted or repaired yet. It sat there ignored, and I had the combination for some time, so whenever I thought I could get away with it, I'd sneak into that locker and stare at all those guns, dark and heavy, foreboding. The Ruger most of all, the one that had killed Dylan Holt. I wondered how many of the others had a story, too. That afternoon, I got up the nerve to get that rifle out, put my naked hands on it, spent an hour or more working the action, testing the sights, loading and reloading. I'd shot Skeet once or twice, but until that moment I'd never held a real gun as long as I held that Ruger, examining every inch of it, the metal and wood against my fingertips, feeling its weight and how it settled soft against my shoulder as I aimed it through a wall and into the house beyond. When my mom saw me, I fully expected her to scream, to yell or come grab me. Something. Instead, she just stood for long minutes in the garage door from the kitchen, unreadable, before reminding me that when I was done... 
I need to put it back exactly as I had found it. Exactly. Then she turned away, shutting the door behind her. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about The Far Empty yet, how would you describe your novel? Well, you know, I've been asked that question before, and, you know, the short plot synopsis is it's, uh, you know, about a corrupt sheriff, um, his missing wife, and their 17-year-old son. Uh, You know, I don't know that that's exactly what the book is about. I think it's about a lot of things, um, but that's a shorthand version of it. Um, You know, it's a mystery novel, a crime novel, um, but it's not even about the crime uh, itself. I think it's about how that mystery or that crime affects the people in this small town. Gotcha. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing The Far Empty? Well, I actually had the first line written for some time that my father has killed three men. Um, I actually had it on a kind of a scrap of paper I'd carried around. And uh, I was looking to write my next book. I had one completed. The Far Empty is actually only the second novel I've ever ever written, ever finished. Uh, and the first one was with my agent, and she was looking to place it. And, and while that was going on, I needed to write something else. And um, I was driving between uh, Alpine, Texas and Midland, Texas, and uh, it's about a two-hour drive. There's not much out there, and I was kind of bouncing ideas around in my head, you know, and remembered that line that I had written down. And in all over that two-hour drive, I was able to uh, basically, you know, lock down the entire story and plot of, of the far empty. Well, you just mentioned that you um, uh, that the Far Empty was your second novel that you had finished. Um, what has your writing journey been before um, getting the Far Empty published? Did you start out writing short stories? Have you always wanted to write fiction? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, my journey is kind of embarrassing. Um, you know, I, I many years ago in high school and college thought I wanted to be a writer and, and took creative writing classes uh, in college. Wrote a bunch of short stories, you know, none of them very good. Um, never got as far as trying a novel. Um, and then after I and even actually briefly considered getting an MFA in writing, but after I graduated from college, I, I went on to do something I thought at the time was more practical. I, uh, you know, went to law school and became a, a federal agent and kind of put any uh, dreams I had of writing on hold for, for more than 20 years. Um, and then just a few years ago, uh, decided that, uh, you know, maybe I would take a, another stab at it, try to, try to take it seriously. You know, I'd had 20 years worth of stories and ideas building up. I just hadn't put anything really, uh, to paper. So, um, I, you know, I did and was very fortunate, uh, to get a, uh, to get an agent and, you know, with the first book, which actually didn't sell, you know, that's always, uh, you know, you think once you get an agent that, you know, it's all easy from there, but that's not, it's not true. That's only one part of it. You know, uh, so that book didn't sell. And uh, so I wrote The Far Empty and then that one sold very quickly. So my writing career has been, you know, very short, really, just the last handful of years, you know, three or four years. But my desire to write is, you know, two decades in the making. Sure. And you said you were a federal agent. Um, was that FBI? What, what kind of work did you do? Uh, I'm still a federal agent. I, I'm okay. an agent with DEA. Uh, and have been for you know more than 20, 20 years now, and um, I've worked all over the U.S. and, and you know overseas, and uh, it's been a 
uh, great career. And so has that uh, career kind of informed your fiction to this point, or, or are you kind of extrapolating beyond that? Uh, no, it's it's informed this book, definitely. Um, you know, I didn't want to write a book about my life or my career specifically, and I didn't want to write a book about um, DEA. Uh, but, you know, I'd be lying if I said all these years of doing law enforcement didn't find its way into um, the far empty. You know, my experience is what it's like to carry a badge and a gun. You know, all of that, as you said, kind of informed uh, the story. And, and there are lots of uh, writers, you know, former agents, former police officers who've, who've written great books about their careers, but I, I didn't really want to do that. Um, you know, I really wanted to write a, you know, a fiction um, novel, uh, and, you know, about this story. So. so given the rules about federal agents, do you have to, um, have your novels vetted before they're published? <laughs> well, one advantage of not writing about, uh, DEA specifically is the vetting, you know, is, is limited. Um, you know, DEA, you, you can't write a book about the border, uh, which this is, uh, you know, and have drug smuggling part of the story, which, you know, is in, in this book as well and not mentioned DEA. So DEA is mentioned a little bit in the book. Um, those sections were, were vetted. Uh, you know, we've got a great system in place at DEA for that. Um, but it, it really wasn't, you know, complicated or, or hard. And as long as you're not talking about, um, you know, uh, techniques and things like that, you know, kind of giving away trade secrets or, or talking about specific cases or things that you're involved in, uh, then you've got some some latitude, and, and I did. Sure. So, are your coworkers excited about seeing this book published? Uh, yeah, they are. I mean, it's it, I kind of held it secret for a while, uh, and you know, agents are pretty good at finding out things, and some of them uh, found me on Amazon uh, and started realizing what was going on. And, and, and you know, my fellow agents have been uh, very supportive, um, and. DEA has been supportive. I, I think I'm kind of a rarity to be a, an active agent um, who's you know writing uh, novels at the same time, um, and so they're all they're all excited uh, about it. And I have to say that you know I, I can you know for many of my years in my career I never would have we never would have had this discussion because I was still actively on the street and, and, and making cases. But now I'm a little. Um, removed from that, there are younger, stronger, faster guys who are out on the street making cases. And my job is to make sure they do it uh, safely. So, um, you know, I have kind of freedom to talk about my job in a way that I didn't, you know, five or six years ago. Uh, but they're excited. They can't wait to, to read it. And, um, you know, they, they think it's pretty funny. <laughs> Great. Well, what appeals to you as a writer and a reader about crime fiction? Well, I think there's a natural tension in those stories. And, you know, you want to achieve um, the goal of having your reader turn the next page. You know, the best books are always the one where you say, well, I've just got to read one more page. I just got to know what happens next. And obviously, uh, suspense novels, crime novels lend themselves uh, to that. And, and I don't know when I started this story that I necessarily 
picked a genre and said, well, I wanted to write a crime novel or I wanted to write a, a suspense novel. I mean, I think that's how it's been labeled. But, you know, the story was really about this boy and the relationship to his father. And then as I was, you know, writing the rest of it, it all kind of came together. I described it to my agent when I was writing it as a, a combination of, you know, Friday Night Lights and No Country for Old Men. Now, I think there's a lot less Friday Night Lights in it by the time it was done. But that was kind of how I pitched it. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm thrilled with the results. But, I, you know, I didn't start necessarily uh, to write a crime novel. But that's, you know, that's how it ended up. Sure. So with your, with your success getting The Far Empty published, uh, what advice would you have for aspiring writers who might be listening and are interested in writing their own novels or short stories? Well, I, you know, I... First of all, I have to say I'm extremely fortunate. Um, You know, there's a huge amount of luck that's involved in getting a uh, book published and getting a a publishing deal. Um, You know, for me, it was, you know, right agent, right book, right publisher, right time. You know, I've met a lot of fantastic authors, you know, who still haven't had that, that lucky break. So, you know, there's a certain level of persistence that you have to have. Um, and if you don't, then, then you're never going to break through. Um, you know, you have, you'll hear no a lot. And I think the other thing that worked for me, um, well, two things. One is that, um, you know, I was able to get over the hump of just getting a book done by realize by kind of demystifying the process. You know, I always thought that real writers never struggled and the words came easy, um, you know, and I realized that that's not true. We all struggle. Um, and you just have to kind of push through that and, and realize that it's really a matter of work. It's just putting one word after the other. And if you do that long enough, eventually you'll, you know, you'll get a book done. It may not be a good book, but at least you'll get one done. And once you've realized you can do that, then the next one and the one after that all are easier. Um, so that was part of it. And then the other thing is, is, you know, I wrote a story that I wanted to read. I wrote it for an audience of one. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't think about the genre. I didn't think about possible market or if it was sellable. I just sat down and wrote a book, uh, wrote a story that kind of interested me and that I wanted to see the end of. And so um, whether the book had sold or not, I was still really happy with the end result. And I think you have to be willing to write that story, spend that time doing it, and put it in a drawer, even if it never finds a market. Um, and, and when you start and finish a story from that standpoint, then I think you know your writing has a certain credibility, uh, a certain honesty that um, you know will lead to success eventually. Sure. So, are there books and authors that inspire your own writing and that you enjoy? Uh, sure. There's a, I mean, there's a ton of them. I, uh, you know, Urban Waite is a writer I'm very uh, fond of. Uh, James Carlos Blake uh, is another writer uh, that I'm fond of. Um, you know, more recently, uh, David Joy, he's another Putnam author who I actually have come to know. His writing is fantastic. And, you know, growing up, it was all the usual uh, suspects. My you know, my parents were big readers, so there was always books around the house. So, you know, you had Stephen King and Robert Ludlum and Michael Crichton and, you know, all of those uh, books around. And, and I grew up 
reading those. James Lee Burke, you know, I think I read a ton of ton of him. Um, so, you know, I don't know that I can point to a specific influence for this book, although clearly Cormac McCarthy, um, you know, I, I was tipping my hat to him through, through much of, of this novel. Um, but I think it was just 20 years of, you know, being a reader, being an avid reader, and all of that came to play uh, when I put, you know, pen to paper for The Far Empty. Sure. So are you working on your next novel now? Yeah, I've been very, again, you know, luck plays a, a, a role in this. And, um, you know, I didn't write The Far Empty originally uh, with a series in mind. And uh, when Putnam got it, they were they were excited by the book and the characters and particularly the region, the Big Ben region, which is, you know, featured prominently in the story. And they asked if I would be willing to kind of continue um, writing about these characters in this place. So, you know, one change between my original manuscript and what is ultimately published is I had to kind of, you know, tweak the ending a little bit uh, to leave the possibility for a sequel. And that sequel is done. Um, you know, it's in copy editing now. Uh, I've got a third book in the series that uh, I'm working on right now. I'm a little more than a third of the way through it, uh, which is slated for, uh, I guess would be 2018. Um, and then uh, Putnam has uh, purchased a, a standalone novel, which is just a kind of a plot right now. Um, so three books in what I call the Big Ben series and then a standalone novel. And then we'll see where we are, um, you know, for possibly more Big Ben books and others as well. Great. Well, if someone is listening and they're interested in you or uh, The Far Empty and your, your you know, uh, upcoming books, where can people find you online? Uh, I have a Facebook author page, um, and then I have my own author website, jtoddscott.com, uh, which has all the relevant uh, information, and I update that. Uh, I'm kind of late to the social media realm. Uh, again, being an agent for as many years as I have been, you know, you, you tend to stay off that stuff. I have. My daughter's uh, like to make fun of me because they have many more followers and friends <laughs> than I have uh, for this sort of thing. But, um, you know, nowadays I think it's important for an author to have that stuff and to be accessible. So I'm there. I'm on Twitter uh, as well. And, you know, again, I, it's a it's a vehicle for people to contact me. I put stuff up occasionally. I, I like to use those. I like to use social media as, as a way to highlight other authors that I like, or, uh, other books that I'm reading. Uh, rather than, than talk about myself a whole lot. Um, but all those places I can be tracked down. And, you know, as a new author, I'm, I'm thrilled to talk to people uh, about uh, my book or writing in general um, and, uh, you know, look forward to, to having that opportunity once The Far Empty comes out and the other books after that. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with J. Todd Scott, author of The Far Empty. The book is available in bookstores now, so go grab a copy. And Todd, thanks for doing this interview. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks, Jeff. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.